Oh, that was a bit off. That's okay. I could sync that because okay. I got you on speaker. <laughs> okay, if you got that, I'm going to plug you into my headphones. Go for it. Okay. You are now in my ears. And All right. Now in the <clears throat> setup. So. What did you say? I didn't hear. We are. Oh, okay. That's fine. I don't <laughs> like, me. what a false start. <laughs> It's nothing. It's nothing too important. We're just, we're just, you know, we're lunatics in a in a seance. Um, on in a in a seance setup, yeah. which is your setup, <laughs> and mine is just my living room. I mean, everyone wants to be in this room. Look, I do. I'm jealous. Like, I'm looking at my um dining table and being like, mm, it's not quite the same. You've got the mood lighting. I was just saying to Ian, um, this is very hygge. Do you know this term? It's uh, very what? Hygge. It's a Danish word. Oh. Have you heard of this? No. It's like, uh, so basically it's this word that encompasses the feeling that you have when you're sitting by a fireplace with candles and it's cold outside, but you're warm inside and you have like a hot mug of drink or something or a whiskey. Um, and it's it's sort of like this lifestyle word that um, that Danish people use to describe the like lighting and all sorts of things it's like one word that means so much but it's definitely a way of life and um it really it's the reason why people in um denmark are so happy apparently says science says science (laughs) which uh, have you experienced this in person i'm experiencing it right now oh (laughs) i mean in denmark though more i'm not not, in denmark not just in the middle of la This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. I've got my special guest and my friend all the way in LA, my friend Izzy Stevens. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It feels like a blast from the past, obviously, whenever we talk, because we met, years I think ago. it was about three years ago. Three I think it, it was more than that. We, I was on Swipe Left. Yes. When was that filmed? I don't know. I think that was like four or five years ago. I feel like it was 2016 or something like that. Um, yeah, it was It was a decent amount of time. We've sort of gone through an evolution because we kept in touch, but in like small like small moments, but these big chapters. Yeah, and we've um we've been, I think the interesting thing is we've both kind of like takes leaps and bounds. We're kind of like a, these weird indie like slash mainstream slash, slash a bunch of like strange artists that we are so true just doing stuff because you you know you directed shortly after that um after swipe left you started that you did your own short film yeah and then um not long after that you moved to LA so yeah um you just hopped onto a plane and went to America I did and I just sort of went I think I'm moving and my family sort of went oh really and I said yeah I think I'm moving and they I don't think they believed me until I moved and they were like, oh, she's in America. She's gone. <laughs> yeah. She, sorry. She's left now. She's, she's left. left the country. Because I did it twice before. I was like, I'm moving to America. And then I would go for three months and come back and be like, I'm back. And they'd say, oh, okay. But we were, we like emotionally prepared to, uh, you know, have you not be here. And now you're just back. So I think by the third time they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then sure, I sure. sort of stuck it out and they're like, oh, goodness me. <laughs> I think what, where you are now, how did it all acting and and like I guess directing and everything where did it start for you um well I mean definitely as everyone says like when I was a kid I was obsessed with 
playing by myself in my room and like acting things out and um the, you know weird stuff like when i was a kid i loved titanic at a at a very young age i would direct um the kids in preschool they <laughs> tried to expel me from preschool because i was trying to direct the children um to act out the titanic like death scene like everyone <laughs> launching themselves off of the play equipment what the uh, yeah like the boat's going down oh, and um Lord. and very, very bossy. Like, I was told I was a very bossy child, and they tried to get rid of me in pre- preschool, and my parents were called in, and they were like, you're kidding. She's a child. Like, she's fine. <laughs> this is just an example of good leadership. And But I was, like, bossing the teachers around. I think I was a bit of a handful. Um, so I think I always liked telling people what to do, but then, of course, a couple years into my directing career, I realized that's actually not what directing is. Um, so... <laughs> But it comes with life skills. You have to learn those things. But I guess um, I was a dancer first. I was a um, I was a ballet student, and I was on track to be a ballerina. And I, I, you know, I received a scholarship to a performing arts high school for ballet. Hmm. But you know, I didn't have a lot of discipline. Especially a ballerina needs so much discipline. And I just liked to goof and laugh, and you know, talk about movies. And I would hang out with all of the you know, the actor theater nerds and I was one and we, you know, I just realized like, how do I break this to my mom who just like really was so excited for me to pursue dancing and and ballet. And um, I moved over to the um, acting stream in performing arts high school. Hmm. And yeah. And then I met an acting coach. I don't know how much, how many details you want, but I'll give me everything. Sort of like (laughs) it was a bit of an evolution there because one of my acting coaches in high school was his name's Yuri Kovic, and he's an amazing acting teacher and an amazing actor himself. Um, And, uh, you know, he cast me in one of his plays and an agent happened to come and see it. And she inquired about me after the play. And I was like, that sounds fun. And I just had no um, awareness of what anything meant and was just totally, you know, stuff that I wouldn't do now, obviously, like they, they booked me, um, they, you know, took me on as a client. And then, you know, the week later I cut all of my hair off and it was long hair. It was like down to my waist, thick, beautiful hair. I cut it all off and I dyed it white because I thought I just wanted to look like, uh, Edie Sedgwick. I was like obsessed with Andy Warhol and Edie Sedgwick. And I was like, I'm going to change the way that I look. And I changed it. And my agent, new agent was like, oh, oh, yep. Okay. We can try and work with this. Um, So, but then I just like didn't have, I didn't have concern about career. I was just having a really good time. And because I was acting every day in high school, I would be able to walk into auditions just feeling really easy and comfortable. So I, you know, actually pretty quickly, like within, I think, two months, I'd landed um, Underbelly Razor. And that was a like a, rec- oh, wow. like a series regular role, which was, you know, the beginning of the drug inserting my, si- in, you know, going into my system. Yeah. And now I'm like, well, I'm hooked. Because <laughs> you had you had Underbelly, you had Puberty Blues. Yeah. Which, you know, like, um, I think... Probably, you know, the amount of people still talk about Puberty Blues yeah. to this day. It's so fantastic. And the team the team on Puberty Blues was, was incredible. I, I mean, they had two directors who, you know, Glendon Ivan and Emma Freeman, who have gone on to do incredible work and are just so 
at brilliant at what they do. I mean, Glendon's, I think mm. his um, film only recently, I think last night, premiered Penguin Bloom, which is just looks so beautiful and it's starring Naomi Watts. And, oh, wow. Okay. You know, he's going on to do some really, really cool stuff. So I think Puberty Blues had this, some projects I think just are touched by something magical and this team comes together and you watch it and you think like, this is brilliant. This is exactly what I want to be doing. These kinds of projects that, yeah, you know, and we were getting a lot of, um, I guess, reports or like people saying that it brought a lot of kids and parents together because there were these like two parallel stories and what a, an amazing television show to be able to sit down and watch. Like that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's probably not always captured a lot in like that whole mm-hmm. dyma- dynamic between parents and kids as well. Cause there's a big d- divide sometimes in, mm. in shows. That's true. And I think, you know, what, you know, especially you've got soap dramas like Home and Away and Neighbours, um, which I think don't capture that generational um, topics as well. Yeah, and I think that the having puberty blues be that period piece, like set in the seventies, it meant mm. that a lot of sort of parents were feeling nostalgic and like really vibing with the, their memories of their childhood. And of course, they're looking at their children, going, "Oh my gosh, this was my childhood. This is your childhood. Like, how cool is that?" And sort of understanding each other on a, on a new level. Because, you know, I think and the one thing that I often look at my parents and go is they're big kids. They're like just, you know, they're in their 60s. But at one stage in their life, they were in their 10s and teenage years and 20s and they were doing all the yeah. wacky stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you do kind of forget that growing up. And I think what we're quite fortunate because we're in this creative bubble we can kind of maintain that. There's a lot of like kid excitement. It's it, you know, it's that's so true. It's hard to remember that sometimes, though, in the thick of industry stuff. I think when you like when you forget that, and then you remember it again, you're like, oh wait, I'm doing this for fun. I'm doing this because I love expressing myself, and this is so important to me. But it's so easy to get caught up in the bullshit of life. Am I allowed to swear, Martin? You are allowed to Thank swear. You. There's okay. a lot of there's a lot Good of swearing. swearing in my okay, podcast. fantastic. Okay. It's always it's always it's always a fun time. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but no, then then like I think we're well, talking about bullshit of life because you went on to do um, probably which I I love and uh, you know is a genre I love when Australia gets to do sci-fi mm. is um, occupation. Oh yeah. Which, you know. Which is a bizarre alien invasion film, um, and that cast is insane as well. That's a you know huge, a very much amazing cast, huge yeah. cast. Yeah. And how did that one come about? Okay, so actually, it was it was a it's a pretty crazy story. So I had had a really rough year, and it had been a couple years since I'd booked something. I'd gone through film school. I knew I wanted to direct, but. Personally, I was going through a really, really hard time. Um, And I just got to a point, and I think it was like January of 2017, um, and I sort of went, or maybe it was 2016, and I said to my agent, I think I'm done. Like, I've just, I've done two big trips to LA. I've done all of the pilot season stuff. I've gotten so close to big projects. And, you know, at that point, I was really sick of watching TV and seeing the roles that I'd auditioned for being like, what's wrong with me? (laughs) And, Mm. you know, and which happens because I I really feel like I had this 
lucky early success and I, you know, I cherish those memories. And then I started really caring and, you know, there's there's definitely a correlation there between how much you care <laughs> and, you know, how what kind of energy you're putting out in the world. Yeah. And so I had co- come back from pilot season. Um, I had had a hard time. I mean, pilot season was changing a lot that time around. And, you know, there's there's always these sort of trends that go through. And I just knew that my demographic wasn't booking. I came home and I was having a really hard time um, with family and with, you know, personal life. And that year finished and I really didn't audition much the whole year. And I sort of was like, maybe that's good. Like, maybe that's okay. And I said to my agent, um, you know, I think I'm done. I think this is it for me. And what an amazing experience. And she sort of went, no, 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 no. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. Don't, like, just stop what you're thinking. Take a few breaths. Like, everything's fine. I was like, I think everything is fine. Like, I'm finally at peace. (laughs) You know, this is, it's it's so, so, so tough and such a cutthroat industry. And, you know, I really just want to feel happy and fulfilled in my life and um and she was like okay let's just like wait and see calm down and by the way read this script and um you know see what you think and maybe put this this tape down and and um and I was like oh fine like maybe I'll just do this last one and I I literally just I put I put myself on tape I did not put much energy into it but I did find that the script was like really I felt very compatible with it with the material um yeah and I sent it off and like a day later she called me and she said well the director wants you for the role and they're offering you this contract and they're going to fly you out and you're going to be filming for three months and you'll be living in Queensland and all of this sort of stuff and and I was like what (laughs) and I at that point had never done a film this was so exciting for me and I just like I don't know I I don't want to get woo-woo, but it definitely felt like a bit of a sign from the universe to keep going. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you did because, you know, I think also what's kind of astonishing about you um, is, you know, you are one of those people who is very, you know, excited and and intrigued by everything that you do in terms of now, it doesn't matter really what medium that that takes um, because you're just very you know, intrigued and you have a deep understanding for film as well and love for film and theatre, which I think, you know, a lot of people don't have. Um, that is actually a rare, Oh, thank you. It's very kind and generous of you to say that. I think that it definitely is something that increased over time. I was not, I was not always like that, but I was always curious. I think that, um, something I was, I learned through film school was like, I was always, I was always really bad at asking questions because I felt like if I was asking a question, people would know that I didn't know the answer. And I thought that I had to know all the answers for people to take me seriously. And I think that when I was going through film school, I, um, I met this amazing group of friends and my, my one, one of my friends would, she would always ask every she, she was she would ask everyone everything she was always asking questions and I I remember watching it objectively thinking no one's annoyed by this in fact people respect her more and they like answering people you know and so I really had to learn how to ask questions and approach with curiosity and and 
try not to care if people just thought that I was an idiot. I, I've, I've always felt a little bit like worried that people are judging me, um, thinking that mm. I just don't know at all what I'm doing. And, it, you know, it still happens. I still can arrive on set and have people sort of say, well, you know, sort of try and undermine me when I'm in a, maybe a creative position. Yeah. Um, and I sort of, it's okay. Like, I understand your perspective and I want to hear that out. But, um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think it is a tough one. And I, I think that there's an, a huge element of asking questions and I guess doing a lot of research into it yourself. Like, you're always like, I think it did for a long time. From my perspective, it took me a while until I got comfortable asking enough questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well. And I think, you know, I've developed, um, you know, a good network, which is surprising also of people. Uh, because, you know, it's yeah. just a, something I've got very good at doing. But I think also a lot of other people who are creatives don't actually have very good networking skills. I agree. And I think it's also because people are so afraid to reach out. And I was so like that. I'm still, I still like battle against that all the time. And I actually was thinking about you and how amazing that you are with engaging community and engaging people. Like, you know, you and I hadn't spoken for maybe two years mm. and hearing from you is is always such a lovely experience and like it's never a bother it's like you know I love it I we always have great chats and you're very so thoughtful and I think like I I would love to be more like you I would love to be more you know just like open rather than have this fear that people are going to be like annoyed to hear from me (laughs) I believe me that took a lot of trial and error right Um, (laughs) I think it was like when I was younger because, um, and I chat about this on one of the episodes, I I grew up with epilepsy and ADHD. So a lot of that was, you know, when you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, your emotions are not as stable. Like a lot of your attention gets very easily distracted. You, And a lot of it, like development is quite slow because of those things. So I developed a lot of personal understanding of social situations a lot later right and I especially when I left high school I was you know I was a little bit like I didn't really get along with anyone in high school um as much I had a lot of like issues with people and then I kind of was just like okay well I want to get into the work I want to get into this creative industry where I know people and a lot of it was just when I started to meet people I found people who I related to a lot better yeah and I realized you know they got to a point where I was like why am I pretending to be this sort of serious person? Why don't I just be myself? Because the person I want to be, if they like me or not, this is who I want to be. Oh, that is so amazing that you learned that early on. It's I do think that it is such an evolution and I think it's something that everyone struggles with. And p- sometimes, you, you know, people d- will just never learn that. Like it's... Yeah it's really hard to sort of meet yourself where you are and say, that's okay. It's only something that I think in the past, like, 12 months, you know, I love that quote, which is um, what other people think of me is none of my business. And, you know, don't ask me who said it because I have the worst memory, especially with quotes. I'm like, someone said this great thing. Um, And I'll say it I know the quote you're talking about. I don't know who said it. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that's so true for life, like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I can walk into a situation and someone else is going to project how they feel about everything onto the situation. And that has nothing to do with me. And that's fine. It doesn't need to. No. And I I think it's also like, um, you know, where it's such an an advantage 
in this kind of creative space where we can inhabit different perspectives and everything that it, it suddenly you you empathize with a lot more people yeah and and i think that you know this is this is also my like my biggest gripe is when people aren't willing to learn or expand their knowledge and you know not everyone's great at it but you know it's good to have an open mind yeah and it's and it's sort of when people are very close-minded they're like no nah, this is my opinion i'm stuck in it and i'm like but why you have no evidence to um you know i'm giving you so much evidence to kind of question that opinion so it's not or like facts that i have but you're putting up this barrier because you don't want to know this information. And that I think creates a very hostile kind of understanding. Whereas it's like, you know, the, the fact, you know, if you go into political situations, the always interesting thing was instead of hating on someone, I was always like, why are they doing this though? Yeah. Like, instead totally. of just really isolating them, understand where they're coming from and their upbringing and everything, because a lot of these are just a circumstantial. Yeah. There are a lot of where they were, they, they grew up. And so their mentality was where they lived and not through any other means it's environmental. So there's a lot of things that people I think take for granted and we don't put any, I guess, understanding or effort into, you know, being like, how do we create a fair society or a fair, like, equal understanding it's very like i'm sort of like there's a weird you know um a, a trying to ignore social media and how much hate it kind of like extrapolates onto the world as well oh me, me too i'm the same way yes because like i think um you know we had particularly this last year and the year before even it was well before the pandemic and everything had happened but you know we had situations where like tv shows and movies were trying to show these big sort of downfall of society and a lot of a lot of political corruption and all this stuff and then suddenly we had a pandemic and the, you know the um the whole like um, black lives matter um situation which spread like massively around the world um and then you know just a whole other little dribs and drabs of stuff throughout throughout that happened throughout the years especially like the storming of the capitol building and everything so it was a like a lot of events that everyone kind of impacted the world big time like, and, you know, it didn't matter where you lived. They were like things that everyone was a little bit concerned about because the, the same thing was how every other political party around the world was reacting. And that was what was interesting. Reading all these articles about like other political countries not doing anything to benefit their people. Like it was always like they were just, there was no understanding. It was always like, I'm in a position of power. So therefore my power is where I care about you as the public have no say. I think that's like um, it's it's very true. I think that and, you know this is not to, but I think it's very true of most governments around the world. I don't think it's just you know everyone says oh it's just mostly America. No, I completely agree with you, and it's no wonder that so many people feel so disenfranchised. Yeah, well, it's like I I find you know having working for a um you know a media company um. And having done it for like the last seven years, you really do get like, you get the slice of stuff that is unfiltered. You get a lot of information that is um, unbiased because you hear it firsthand. But the other thing is when you watch it go to a product for an audience, it suddenly has to go through so many different people to get to that point. So by the time it gets to the people out in the public, it becomes an opinion rather than a Here's just a bunch of facts, no yeah. matter what station you work for. And it's so rinsed. Yeah. It's so rinsed out and, and like sanitized and, you know, with all of its chosen perspective. And 
Yeah, it's you don't know who to trust. I, I think like what's what's your opinion when like as uh, you know in a way our responsibility is to um, inform people in a truer perspective because I feel like that's as artists where our job in you know <laughs> is to inform people of the true the truth and to a varying degree give them the more solidified opinion like that there are many different opinions and how we see the world is not just one strict output of information that's that's such an interesting question i don't know i don't know if i prescribe to that completely purely because i think that i make film and art to help to, to sort of have me and and anyone else that sort of gets in touch with it be able to empathize better with the people that are around us yeah. i think that's my my biggest drive in making anything is like how do we how do we just all get on the same page like how do we stop picking picking people out and you know p- choosing them to be the um example that we're making of something mm. and and instead let's like come at life with more empathy and more understanding and more generosity of like space and patience and time um i think you know and it's probably not the political answer that you're looking for but i'm not someone who can deal with um polarization and there is so much polarization right now in media and in society that i don't and i don't know how to handle it i really feel i get paralyzed because i think like you know i can see all the pain that there is everywhere on both sides yeah. um on all sides and I wish that we could, you know, it's very um, hopeful of me, but I really, I, I don't know. I, I, I could not, I went through journalism school and I realized I can't do yeah. that. I actually can't be a journalist because I, uh, it doesn't work for me. I think that's fair. And I think it's like, you know, and I'm not asking you to be like, here, have an opinion. Yeah. Because you're, you know, like I have a strict, because your opinion is your opinion. Like, this yeah. is. That's the which whole I point of my ask these the, questions. Yeah, which I think is the is what we're missing. Um, and you know, I certainly don't agree with all of the opinions out there, and some of the stuff that I'm seeing truly baffles me. It truly, I, yeah. I feel like, what? Like, what happened? Where did we go wrong hmm. for you to feel and think that way? I think it's very good also to step away from it because. It's, you know, I sometimes don't look at news, you know, especially when I'm on holiday, I tend not to look at news because when you get bombarded by it so much, it's, it becomes a very, like, you're aware of everything and you're kind of, you know, aware of, hyper aware of how much goes on in the world. And I think that's, you know, can be a detriment and, but also a good thing. It's very, like, I agree, I agree with you on your statement and I, I think if I were to make a political film, it would probably be a very something closer to my heart than a lot mm. of like. I think that's the probably thing than I uh, like a lot of things that are close to my heart are like um, you know uh, equal rights, feminine mu- uh, movement, and everything like that. If I were to do anything, it would be about those perspectives um, and probably like the you know like understanding of LGBT um, mm. QI community a bit more as well, um, but. I know, like, friends who are, you know, much more, in, in, you know, in touch with wanting to, you know, give Aboriginal rights and all these things. So it, it yeah. really does. Um, it really depends, I think, what's close to your heart. I think that's really important. I totally agree. I think, and the, the what I think the reason I 
always come back to art, artistic practice and like making films and writing scripts and helping people write scripts is that yeah. what we can do with this is get on a personal level with stuff. And I think that especially with media and with the larger picture and the way that we're all talking about things and we are so polarized is that we have like these broad concepts that we will say yes or no to and that we can't actually get in the experience of what that is like to be in that space in that time on either side yeah and so when you're in film and when you're watching film you you're in their seat, you're in the empathy space. You'll be you're able to see through their eyes and understand. And I was actually because I I started a business last year, help, like coaching people through making films, um, because mm. I love it and it's just such a hobby and so rewarding. This just goes back to your childhood, you really. I was just listening and go, <laughs> it's like the the kindergarten. You're just being like, I'm coaching you all. <laughs> I'm coaching you all. Um, right. Oh my gosh. Now that you put it like that. It all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was having this conversation with a client where, uh, you know, we don't respond to necessarily, um, mm. like empathetically, we don't respond to a, like a, a story of immigration, which is, you know, looking at it from this zoomed out lens. But we do respond to hearing about, I don't know, Bobby and the fact that, you know, Bobby's three and hasn't seen his mother and father in, you know, 12 months. And Bobby is, you know, really upset and sad. And so we're with Bobby and we're in his experience and we can see the ramifications of something that is, you know, tearing our society apart that people have such polarizing opinions on. And when we read an article, we're not always really thinking about the the true personal experiences of the thing we're sort of uh, you know objective um which yeah. is exactly why i can't be a journalist because i'm like think oh. about bobby guys <laughs> think and think about bobby bobby you know it's yeah i agree i think um it's i think that's also really you know powerful because the stories that you know you wrote your own short film mm-hmm. which um went into Tropfest um, mm. and did really well. Very intense. Very, very intense. Very intense. Film. Yeah. Um, and was that, like, how did, that also felt very personal. That's so funny you say that because Phenomena wasn't, it was, it was a, it was a daydream I kept having. And uh, I think I was just trying to escape from what my actual life was at that point. I, I was in, I wasn't in a very good space, but um yeah, it, you know, and I think that it really freaked people out because, you know, I'd never really made a film that had become public like Phenomena was through Tropfest. Yeah. And I think people were like, oh, that actress made a film about, okay. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I, I didn't happen to me. Um, but, thank, but thank you for caring about that. I mean, that's really nice. But, um, and, you know, what the, the subject's matter is so serious and very much something that phys- you know I know we're talking abstractly about something so I'm sorry but <laughs> no one understands um what what it, we're talking about but phenomena is about a young woman who starts to see another version of herself and she you know she's obviously like having some kind of um well she's not sure if she's having a mental breakdown or if what's what she's seeing is real and you know, you've it's revealed right at the very end um, what she's being 
experiencing and what she's been going through. Um, and it's very much, yeah, I, I totally lost my train of thought. But um, no, I, I, I know where you're going <laughs> with it, though. Like, I think like what what's interesting as well, because originally it was you know meant to be like um, a, a, like a father figure. Yeah. And I and I think what's more power, powerful, like the cha- that change that it's now like a mother doing everything that's. Mm-hmm. You know, like doing all the really yeah. kind of like sexual assaulting and everything like that. Um, it's just it's just unsettling because it's that you know. I think when we talked about it last time, you were talking about that whole like, you know, uh, I guess blasé feeling that some you know women have. Um, and I think that like with with this stuff, uh, you know, we're, especially with film, like often we're physicalizing stuff in film that is true that is really an internal experience and so whether or not this person was experiencing um you know trigger warning but sexual assault um we don't know but so actually funny story and i think i told you this but my when i was in the pre-production process my one of my lead actresses, Rochelle, Rochelle Bano, who's just brilliant. And a little bit of a plug here, Rochelle and Karina Bano, who star in the film, are um, coming out with three new films on Lifetime. I know it sounds like an ad, but I'm so excited. I, I know, but the... can I just say I'm excited too because oh, they I'm look so phenomenal. Excited. I know, don't they? Uh. And it's just wonderful to see them on screen. They're so they're absolutely two brilliantly talented, wonderful humans that I adore. They're my best friends. So anyway, uh, we were sitting yeah, with... Anyway, we were, plug, <laughs> plug, 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 plug. Um, and it's shameless because I'm so proud. Um, so I was sitting with both of them and Rochelle just turns to me and she's like, Hey, what if this, what if this wasn't a father? What if this was a mother? And my mind was blown because what, like, of course it's so, so brilliant. I was like, leave that with me. And I, I like went home and thought about it. And, and I just thought the more I thought about it, the more brilliant it was, because honestly, we don't talk about the psychological impact of, uh, you know, um, relation like toxic female relationships and especially between Mm. mothers i mean there is a lot of that in there and anything um you know a lot of the time if if there is a and i god i'm no expert on this subject but if there is a toxic relationship with um a female figure it is usually psychological it's you know that's how women um tend to be more than men you know and maybe that's such a generalization and i'm sorry if someone's listening to this going like oh she has no idea what she's talking about but men tend to be physical and women tend to be psychological and that is also one of the reasons why so many um women are the protagonists of psychological thrillers because you know for all the reasons i just said (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's so true as well and um i think uh, it, that's something I remember growing up with, you know, was sort of told as a guy, you were, you know, you were very strong or you had this sort of like, you know, imposing stature about yourself because that's generally what guys were, you know, you know, always, you know, like I remember my mother being like, you know, just be kind, be considerate kind of thing. It was very mm. like, it, you know, drilled into me at such a young age. So I think though, when like having been in, a couple of really toxic relationships myself with women. It do, I do agree with you. It is sort of like, it, it's very much mind games. It's a lot of like, what you don't realize is the, the way they change words or, you know, when, especially when, you know, someone has that power, 
they they're changing the events or they're trying. Okay, to man, you've obviously been burned by women. <laughs> I look. That's not even me hating women because I'm, I, I'm just very. <laughs> So Women anyway, are all just, bad. Oh, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, this is why I started a cult. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's just got my pitchforks and everything we're going. Um, <laughs> no, but I do, I do like, I think that it, it's very interesting because when you do have that real life experience and you also see it in film, mm-hmm. it, it's very real because I do agree. And I think that was kind of like um, when I watched your film, it was quite soon after I and uh, um, I was out of a relationship, so it was like mm. kind of like something. I was like, oh, um, but there there is very much like you know that whole grain of truth to, I think the psychological game, and some guys do his psychological games as well. Absolutely, I think that it's like um, you know if there's we can't be essentialist about any of it, but I do feel like. You know, if women are fighting, they're fight. If two women are fighting, they're usually fighting in a psychological way, and yeah. and it's usually unspoken. And a lot of the time, people be like, "Wait, what's happening?" And you know, you have no idea because it's silent. Um, and I yeah. think that you know, which is sort of my point about phenomena, whether or not it's it's physical. We're looking at it physically on film, but it's it's all psychological. It's all internal. It's all relationship and. That's sometimes the most terrifying because it's you can't account for it. Like there's, it's invisible. Um, yeah. So much of the time. So, but yeah, I do. I love psychological thrillers, and I do think that they are such an escape for me. Like, and I was actually speaking with a um, a new friend, a great friend now, um, who was one of the team on my recent short film. Seafoam. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, another plug. Uh, <laughs> not really. It's not done yet. Um, but I, I actually met um, met this great filmmaker, Paula, and we were talking the other day about how we we would we both find it quite funny how we make films that aren't at all about our experiences, um, and yet if we really thought about the experiences of our life, we would have so much to draw from. Um, and how funny is that? Like, how interesting that we're creating these films that are so abstract to who we are and what we experience and how we mm. feel. But um, we're drawing something into I, them. I don't know. I think that's I think that's very true because I tend to never write anything that is based anything. I'm on trying me. to. I'm trying. I've been trying, and I I go through phases where I'll be like, I really need to process that chapter of my life and. I know there's a film in there, yeah. and I know, you know, I do have this. I feel. Do you feel the same way? Actually, um, I have this one particular experience that will be my will be a fe- future film at some point that I'll make, and I'm just not ready yet. I just have yeah. it in my head, percolating, and I know it's there, and it's so important to me, and it's really touchy, but it's just something I can't touch yet. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. Like I've got. I've got a couple of stories in particular that happened throughout my life that, um, you know, I definitely can talk about, but I, I, I really not ready to, you know, I want to make them into a film at some stage or turn them into something, but I'm not ready to do that because I'm like working out how to formulate that into a, an honest like output and an honest reflection on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's, what's hard is, is it's really, t- you know, it's, it's always taking your emotions out of the story and just kind of looking at it from an 
objective point of view as totally. well. Totally, which is why I think you can't write about it straight away. I think you always yeah. have to be objective, which is really hard to do. I think a lot of the time I'm when I'm working with um, clients, I feel like that's a lot of my job because a lot of the time people will come with, to me with really personal stories and they'll sort of say, oh, I have this one situation and story that I want to do, but I don't think I'm ready for that yet. We'll just do something else. And I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. That's, we're going to do that because that's that's the best situation right now when you have someone else that you can bounce ideas off of and have them be objective is you write that thing. And it's the mm. hardest thing to write. So having someone else sort of soothe you through the process is like so much easier. And it's therapeutic as well. Yeah, totally. I find that, um, you know, one thing that I discovered very therapeutically uh, it you know, and possibly more than anything, it's just um, more than actual therapy itself. Uh, is you know having all you know hearing everyone else's stories. Um, mm. You know, like this is the funny thing is, I was thinking about the other day that starting this podcast is like the most therapeutic thing I've done. For oh myself. my god, totally! Because it's so one on one, yeah, which I love, and but you open like this chapter. Of, you know, events and stuff and share with people and you hear these different insights and different opinions and suddenly it's just like you feel more knowledgeable, but you also feel more relaxed, like you're just not alone. So it's a very strange, like, therapeutic um, situation um, that I think is great. Like, yeah. and I commend anyone to kind of like, you know, communication is key. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's it's very, it's very amazing, like, Instead of just writing something and being like, I'm going to tell my story through like a script analysis, I've also been sharing it through podcasts, you know, sharing my story as well as other people's stories. So it's it's just, you know, it's an incredible, um, incredible journey, I think. I think it's so cool. I I love that you're doing this because it is like a stamp in time as well. I mean, something that you can revisit later in and go, oh my gosh, I completely forgot that even happened. Or I recalled a memory in this podcast that I forgot that I even had. So... Yeah, it's really cool. I think that um, it would be such an amazing cathartic experience. It just it just makes me sound like when I'm about fifty. I'm so I'm so looking forward to being fifty years old You're and listening hilarious. back to this and be like, um, oh, that's what I was like when I was twenty nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, um, I yeah. <laughs> like, uh, um, but I I do also think that um, you know, with in terms of that as well, because you know we've we've being quite fortunate like we shared personal stories between us as mm. well um and i think when we first met it's it's funny as you you know you were saying at the beginning how like our chapters every time we reconnect is like we've gone through these chapters and i think that's so true mm. because um every time we do talk it's like um either we've been through these big relationships to, um stuff or something's happened and or you know we we've been in this like not good headspace but there's always been this very much understanding of rather than alienating it, um, which I feel like a lot of people do with bad headspaces or bad, you know, uh, anything like that. How have you felt like in terms of, um, you know, are you, do you feel much more comfortable about your own, like talking about mental health than you used to be? Absolutely. I think that I was, I think that I'm, I've always been an open book, but, but I feel like I've not, I only in the past couple of years have I really felt more comfortable in my own skin um, to express myself in a way that feels truthful to how I actually feel. Because I think I'm always ready to share and ready to be open. But sometimes, um, you know, when I was much younger, I would be, I would share and be open in a way that later would make me feel like really 
exposed. Yeah. And knowing sort of how to shape the way that I'm discussing stuff um, makes me feel better. And I think that learning how to be protective of your own stuff, your own energy, like that's a big one for me because, you know, I definitely come from this total, like I've, you know, I joke that I'm a recovering people pleaser because I would always just, you know, whatever makes you happy, like, oh yeah, we can, that's fine. That's totally fine. And yeah, it's still tough Mm. for me. I want to make sure that everyone's okay in this situation and then I'll forget that I need to be okay as well. Yeah. It's, it's, that, so. that's actually very true. I think, um, uh, you know, when we forget when we're trying to appease everyone and make everyone smile, mm. how much we're actually doing and mm-hmm. it's going, and our mental capacity just goes, ah. um, I think that's kind of like how I boast, uh, you know, and I think 2020, you know, everyone goes 2020 is a bad year, but I actually think it was a very good year in, yeah. in that, you know, in the personal journey. Yeah. Kind of thing. Because you were out, you you know, because everyone was in lockdown or in isolation. Did you find it was very useful to kind of like hone in of what was important to you? Yes, definitely. I did. And I was very fortunate through the whole sort of COVID experience that, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't touched too, too badly with um, people around me getting sick or loved ones and um, so I, you know, I feel very fortunate in that. I know that so many people had really terrible experiences through the year, but I definitely felt like it was an opportunity for me to sort of double down and regroup and just sort of look at everything and go, okay, let's see how you feel about this and let's process some stuff and what do you actually want? Um, and let's do that. And yeah, I'm really, I, I appreciate that I'm able to sort of do my best in the situation, um, and, and sort of come through with with more than I came in with because yeah. it's tough. I mean, it, I, I am sort of a hermit crab. Like I, I really like, I seem, I probably seem like I'm quite confident and outgoing and, and know exactly what I'm doing all the time maybe, but I just absolutely don't. And I really do as everybody does. And especially with social media these days, like, Anxiety is real and a lot to deal with. And so I'll go through phases where I just have to completely switch off from everything on the outside world. And through COVID, that's so tough because that's my whole world. My whole world is outside of myself and my experience. Like, you know, it's just me and my partner living in Los Angeles and, you know, we're so lucky that we had a good experience too. It's like really make or break in a lockdown situation with a a boyfriend. And, and... Uh, like, how did that kind of put... That must have put a very surreal pressure. I actually didn't. It was easy, but it, I think both of us knew that we had to be ready to to sort of, like, flow through it um, and yeah. and sort of set some... Per, I, I'm not even parameters. I, I remember us having, like, a, a check-in, like, a powwow when everything was happening. I was like, okay, we're about to spend a lot of time together and we need to figure out what our boundaries are because... We need to be able to just like, I'm going to go in the back room, I'm going to close the door and I'm going to be there by myself for a couple hours and you don't exist and I love you, bye. And it was like, yeah. that's sort of what you have to do. And I'm lucky though, because it was, it could have been really hard, but we're, we're very adaptive and he's the best person in the world. And so I like, I could not, it's, it couldn't have been better. And I think that actually really yeah. strengthened us and strengthened our ability to be together but not be together all the time. Yeah. 
which I think I think is quite um that's hard it's hard to like but also very fortunate um mm. in a lot of ways cuz you know god it, you know I knew someone who recently started dating their partner and then um you know they'd been friends friends for years but it was the first time she moved in with him um but uh and it was probably about eight months after they started dating or something like that and it, wow. um, she moved in with him but it, yeah then covid hit and it was like she was just nerve-wracked but then it you know it's fine yeah but- and it's so funny because like david and i just before covid i mean we wanted to spend every minute together like you know and and then you get to a point where you're like well actually this isn't good because there's other things that we are you know working on in our lives and doing and we have to make sure that that's possible um yes otherwise we'll just be consumed and you know how boring to just just have that in your life i mean lucky and i'm i honestly I'm so lucky, <laughs> but like, you know, life is so much bigger than just your relationship and I'm very ambitious. 100%. I am like, I have shit to do. <laughs> Me too. And like, um, yeah. and I so is he. I've, oh, that's good. Yeah. And I mean, like for me, for me, it's like, um, you know, I re- I recently met someone and, uh, she's, she's just very much also on the same page. Um, of just being like, you know, you do you and she work she works in um, television as well. So she gets that whole like ambition and drive and everything. Mm. And I think it's sort of so funny because, you know, having uh, dated people who weren't, who had their own ambitions and weren't as fussed about mine, it's nice to like someone to be like, you're ambitious, I'm ambitious. We'll kind of like get together where we what downtime. Oh, yeah. Rather that's than that, the dream. Do our ambitions. It's so yeah. good. It's sort it's of so like great. you just kind of go, oh. Yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely like this team mentality that we have like mm. you know we'll spend all yeah you know, i spent all day on set the other day and come home and i'm you know fucking exhausted from an 18 hour day and oh, he, <laughs> he's got to learn lines for an audition and i'm like let's do it i'm i'm here for you mate because and so is he he'll he'll we just like it's a it's like a different energy level that we tap into when the other person needs something. It's like I've taken care yes. of my shit and I can totally take care of your shit now too. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, as as long as you're both looking after yourselves, it's totally. also easy to look after each other. It's a yeah. very you know, it needs to be that balance and that comes down to communication and just mm-hmm. um, you know, being honest and open. And I think that's so good. But I think that's also then describes you as a very much like you go, oh, I'm a bit of a hermit crab and everything. But I also, you are, as you say, an open book um, Mm. in a lot of ways. So I think that kind of like, um, you know, I I don't see the introverted like um, Izzy as I guess as much as you (laughs) think I don't think many people do because when I'm feeling introverted, I'm like, bye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Um, But I I think think it was, that's just kind of like the nature yeah as well is you know because you know um you know you're very talkative and everything but there's also like i think the uh, it's funny because someone said this um a friend of mine said this last night to me we went and did a photo shoot and um we were walking back to the car and she said to me she was like it's so nice having to be myself because i was trying to gauge how true of myself I could be with you guys. Wow. Um, and I thought that's really nice because, that's so nice. you know, one, it's like I've created this safe space where she feels like she can just be who she, uh, you know, however weird or wonderful she wants to be. But I definitely think that that 
you know, you go into some professional environments and I remember like every time I start a new job, I'm always like, I won't say anything. I will sit in the corner be really quiet and then work out what I can say yeah, and how weird and morbid I can go. Like <laughs> just slowly integrate my cult. Slowly, yeah, right. Just slowly come out of your shell. Yeah. But is, is that the same for you every time you get to, you know, do something new or are you very much easier to, uh, I guess, open up because nowadays oh it really depends on the situation and I think you know if I'm really honest about it it depends on how dominant other people are in that space too because I'm like I'm all in or I'm all out and I have sort of struggled in through my life to equalize and balance that out and just be um but I definitely respond very significantly to like what's happening in the space and so um Like, I could bring an example in of when I was um, on different film sets. Like, when I was on Puberty Blues, they... I was so nervous because they were all... All the rest of the cast that I was working with were so cool and, like, chill and accomplished and fun. And I felt like such a dork. Um, And I was really quiet. And then I think just for, like, the first few weeks... And I think we all, like, went out... um, like I think we were at a pub and then we went clubbing. I don't know. I was 19, but we we were sort of out one night um and probably the last time I ever went to a club, I don't know. But we we um we were sort of having a great time and I like you know, cutting loose on the dance floor. And I just remember the cast being like, oh, we should not know that you were fun. <laughs> like we just like we thought you were just like weird quiet girl. And I was like, yep. That's probably true. But, you know, no one would say that about me that knew me in high school. So it really yeah. does depend on the energy of the situation and, I don't know, how secure I'm feeling. That that was so long ago as well. Now getting on sets, I feel so much more confident in my space. Um, but I w- I, I'm very ready to – I'm cause, because I'm now used to directing um, and I feel like I'm such a performance space director like I'm such an acting acting director uh, very specific about what I want but very much in tune with the actor and our relationship um to get to get sort of that that stuff out of them and I was recently on a shoot where I'm I'm producing now and I've you know got this amazing new production partner and I'm so excited to be working with her she's amazing and hilarious and uh you know, I, being on set as a producer is incredibly different. And, you know, yeah, I do, I do, I'm like ready to give directing notes. And I'm like, nope, that's not my place here. Like I have to, I'm I'm telling myself, you be quiet now because, you know, my producing partner's like, no, get in there. And I'm like, absolutely not. It's not my space. I, I really respect yeah, directors yeah, yeah. and I want them to do their creative thing. And, you know, I have to learn how to be, you know, in in all of those different spaces, um, which is sort of yeah. an exciting, fun challenge, which I just love trying on all those new hats. When, you know, we were both, like, um, grew up in an era where everyone was trying to look certain ways. Do you think that's changed a, a fair, fair bit now that we're kind of, like, much more comfortable in our own skin in terms of, like, you know, makeup and everything as well? Like in te- um, terms of how we represent ourselves? I mean, I think, look, I can only answer from my experience and I definitely think yeah. yes. But also I think that that might be very different for the younger generations coming up because now I think there's like you look at social media and there's even more pressure. We didn't have that much social media 
growing up. Like we weren't no, looking we at our image all the time and obsessing about it and wanting it to be perfect and thinking, oh, you know, does this is this going to be okay to share? But now there's so much, so much hyper focus on image that I I think it's probably worse, honestly. Um, yeah. But I do feel like there is with that a, a another reaction the other way, which is like as you grow up, I don't know. I, I can only, I, I'm going to give you another quote <laughs> that I don't know <laughs> who said it. But um, I heard it on Big Little Lies. Zoe Kravitz's character said, we don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. Uh, and so if you ask my opinion of how I feel about society, I'm like, society's great. Like, I think everyone means well and people just love each other and everyone's going through a spiritual awakening. And it's like, that's not true. Some people are having that experience and some people are not having that experience. Um, and so <laughs> we just like have no effing clue about any of it. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm terrible at being I, objective. I, <laughs> I I find it so funny though that that quote makes you sound like a you know like you know everything's pretty. It makes you sound like a 1950s housewife. Like, totally. Isn't life d- d- like lovely? Nothing. Everything's coming up roses. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just like that whole 19. Uh, I think it's like you know because I love old television in terms of that mm. factor as well because it's so blasé about where everything was in the world because they were but trying I to keep the like audience very happy if you're looking at something I mean I was it's so funny right before we got onto this podcast I was having a conversation with a castmate from a film I did and you know we were talking about how when when there's toxic energy that exists between mm. in a situation and it, whether or not, like, whatever source it's coming from, it's so up to us to to either take it on or not. And it's so easy to victimize ourselves. It's really easy to, you know, I've, like, you know, myriad stories for you of, like, times that I was went through an experience in the industry which was awful and really confronting and forced me to kind of grow up and figure out how to deal with life. But mm. that's not their fault, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I, th- it's not the other person's fault because that's, you know, who they are and that sucks for them. That's, I don't have to be that person and I don't have to no. take their stuff on and it's just going to rip me apart if I choose to indulge that way and so it's really been a lot of lessons um and i think the industry like the film and television industry really grows you up quick uh, and it forces yeah. you to sort of yeah look at things and go okay where are my values it's very easy to lose your values in this industry yeah and i mean like holding it's either a, i think that's also what's you know like makes us unique in a lot of ways is because we really embrace like you know because you're doing um seafoam as well and it's just like doing doing the independent films Mm. and doing your short films really makes you have like a control and a nice feeling and i love indie films like there's something about the art form and everything that but i think in that way it doesn't also it gets rid of that toxicity because you get to work with who you you know who brings that joy mm. in a certain way. Do you agree with that? Like that you get to kind of like in the 
sort of break away from the because I think I think the whole glamorous side that we always look in film yeah is 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 exist. really not always that glamorous it's no, really not there it doesn't um, exist it's just all facade yeah and I think like um although uh, you know I actually can't say that for sure because it's not like I'm living some kind of glamorous high life like I'm some kind of star but I don't I do no, but see I mean, enough <laughs> to sort of know that like the nitty-gritty of it is can be really ugly I totally agree with yeah. you like indie film is where it's at like I was so do you know who Robert Rodriguez is he's now um oh yes yeah okay so Robert Rodriguez I, I thought you were about, about to just like I love Robert Rodriguez yeah. he's great I mean, not like he makes films that I wouldn't watch really. Like, honestly, they're not really my kinds of films. But him as a filmmaker, I really respect and think like, you know, he he started out working on these like zero budget, micro budget films. Mm. And then quickly, you know, he sold his film. I think it was to Universal. And now he's this huge filmmaker and he's making million dollar, like tens of millions of dollar films and um, has all of this wild success. And he talks about how he's like, well, I got on these big sets and I saw, suddenly really missed making indie film because the teams are small and you have control and you can get your hands dirty and like wear all the different hats. And, you know, it's like such a more involved process. And on a big yeah. set like that, you have you one job and you, he, he, I love this story. Like he didn't even know that he wasn't supposed to call action. Someone else does that for him. Um, and and he was like, oh, okay, I'll just. That's okay. <laughs> like, I think I love it. Like I think one of the best interviews I saw with him not that long ago because he directed um, uh, one of the Mandalorian episodes, mm-hmm. which was on Disney Plus. Yeah, and yeah. With Tim, they Tamara had about, Morrison was in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he played and my he's father. Great. He's yeah, I remember, and he's he's just a, he's great at like he everything is I ever. So watched. great. He's the funniest person I've ever met. <laughs> He's he's just clearly one of those very down to earth people yeah, very, from every very interview I've ever watched, and he just loves what he does. And totally. he and said he said in an interview when he got cast back as Boba Fett, he was like, "This is the call I've been waiting for." Like, yes, he actually, is, he was like saying that role. on set too. He's like, "I'm waiting for Star Wars to call." I'm yeah. like, <laughs> "Fuck yes!" He just he's he loves it, but um, yeah, he, does. he was you know it was his debut episode. And Robert Rodriguez was called in to do last-minute directing, I think, mm. uh, because they lost a director for that episode, a scheduling conflict. And so for one of the fight scenes, he he had these Star Wars figures of Stormtroopers at home and he got his kids to film in his backyard and, uh, to Amazing. create the battle sequence. And he took that to the production meeting and John Favreau's next to him and... Yes. Um, and uh, I think it's David Milani were next to him, and they just both went. This is the best thing I've ever watched. Like, this is amazing. D- did you make this just with your kids? And he was like, "Yeah, that's and I was brilliant." Like, okay, cool. This is this is the this that's needs the to shit be I love. Film. That's so cool because it was so indie, and they were just like, "This feels like we're making indie again." Like this, yeah. There, there was something about even you know like big stars like John Favreau want to keep that indie vibe alive. Like he's so technologically and that- like gets it. It's so cool because, you know, and you watch stuff with uh, Robert Rodriguez, like videos on YouTube, and mm. it it just shows you, you can you can make a film for no money. Um, yeah. I'm still yet to do it. I keep thinking I'm going to, and then I'm like, whoa, that just cost me more than I thought. <laughs> but 
but it's, um, it's, it's a long process. It is a long process. I very, I'm very picky about production design, which is pro- usually where all of my money goes, because I like to things <laughs> to look a certain way. But, um, but yeah, Robert Rodriguez, like his the way he threw things together and was like, yeah, we just we had to get this shot of a guy like falling off of a balcony and then grabbing onto a moving bus and then the moving bus like propels him along and you know we didn't have a bus and we didn't have stunt doubles and we didn't have anything like that he could fall on and so and like the way that he shows you how he does it it's amazing they it's like you it's so genius um yeah i i i it's like, how do you make an action film with no money? You watch Robert Rodriguez's videos and you just do what he did. I think another gr- um, great director who was just recently making, um, uh, directed Shazam. Um, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, um, David, David S. Sandberg. Sam, yes. He's great. And he did he did shorts with his wife. And he yeah, still Pony does. Yeah, Pony Smasher. I, like, I love yes. watching his videos on YouTube. Pony Smasher videos are legit. And he just, like, I think one of the best videos he did was talking about test screens. Mm. And he said how much he hated them. Mm. Because, like, you get audience members and they just wouldn't quite know what to ask. Or they'd, <laughs> they'd write stuff that he was just like, okay, cool. What do I do with this information? Um, yeah. And he'd take it to producers. And I remember, I think it was like Lights Out, the short film he made. And then yeah. I, I watched the feature. It's terrifying. It's creepy as anything. It's actually like he just understands horror yeah. perfectly. Yeah. But watching that film, you just go, I remember him talking about his onset experience for the first time. And he just goes, oh, this was. You know, like it's the same with Robert Rodriguez. He was just like, I, do, like I'm, I'm just directing. Like, what do I do? Or like, what? There's so many people asking me questions, and I'm totally, like, uh, yeah. Because you know, when you're used to doing it yourself, it's there is something unique about it, and I mm. love doing it myself sometimes because it does. Yes, you know, you do save them money. Is that kind of like <laughs> perspective, and you also learn from your mistakes. Yeah. The other side is, you know, you do get. Um, you've everything feels very tangible. Everything feels very real to you. And the moment you have many people telling you, "Oh, this is achievable. This is not," and you're kind of going, "But I've done that. So how can I help you do that and yeah. achieve that with without you know it looking like you're worried about it looking bad?" Totally. There's always kind of like these other brains that you've got to, um, you know, I think you know what with DOPs are the hardest. Because when you're not, I mm-hmm. love operating a camera, mm-hmm. but telling a DOP what I want in my head is like near impossible because I'm like, oh no, just really experiment with it. And they like, they just not go, in the oh, way so that you, you want like them to. <laughs> and you're like, no, just really go for it. Like really change right. it up. And you're like, mm, um, eh, that's so funny. I do yeah. vibe with that. I, I, I get like, I sometimes don't know what I want until... I'm there and then I can sort of oh, yeah. tell you, but it's, it, it can be really hard with seafoam. I, <clears throat> I was like, okay, this is, I no longer need to do like every single role myself, which I phenomena. I, it was, I took care of everything. Like I was the writer, director, producer, catering, production design, editor, like, you know, and I, my, the small team that I did have was brilliant and phenomenal <laughs> phenomena mm. um but Ooh. um but but I definitely like you know whipped myself up into a frenzy to really get everything done and this time I was like this is going to be different for me I'm going to figure out how to um 
have more have other team members take things on and i trust that people are going to want to and like weirdly enough it i wrote the film and then 6 weeks later we had filmed it and finished and i had made like a full team of people and only two people did I work with that I had worked with before? And there were like 12 people in the crew and cast. That's insane. It, crazy. Like, I don't know what happened. It was very serendipitous. I wrote the film on like at like 5.30 at night on a Tuesday in 15 minutes. And then I called my friend and I said, do you have any producer friends that you know? She was like, yeah, I've got a friend. Gave me her number. She came on board and brought her producing partner on board. So I'd never met either of them. And they're brilliant, fantastic producers. And then uh, that continued rolling on where just things fell into place. And, you know, I'm for the first time letting someone else edit my film, which I'm really, I really have a hard time with because I'm like so, so specific. And it's really a great exercise for me to say, okay, I'm going to let this happen and and see how we go and like give notes yes but let this person creatively express themselves because what is this if it's not an, a, an opportunity for everybody to creatively express themselves um, yes so let's like let's get in that collaboration space and it's going to be different than what i expected and that's awesome it's be- it's often f- like film turns out very different to what you think it is but it nine times out of ten hopefully is better you really do hope and it's so funny that you say that because every time i do like do anything from conceptually to photo shoots to like you know films i'm always like in my head just going and you see that first draft and you just go well i liked some of that (laughs) and then you just gotta go through it again and i think it's the case because i watch stuff like that I'd made like four years ago the yeah. um, and some stuff that I actually made when I was in TAFE, which is eight years old now. Yeah. Watched it the other day and I was like, I don't hate it that much. Yeah. I just think that's a period of time. Totally. I, you know, I feel that way whenever I watch anything that I've made before. I, I think like this is, you know, it's hard for me to now it's like I, I watch phenomena. I think, oh, I would do things so differently um, hmm. and now, but. I don't I don't regret or feel ashamed of any choices. I think that it speaks for itself in the chapter of my life that I made it in. And like, how cool yeah. is that? That we have these little, you know, artifacts from different parts of our lives and you can see when you're growing. And that is something that I really had to get my head around early on um, because I'm, I want, I only want to put work out there that I'm like really proud of and that I love and think is, is, perfect and if you're a perfectionist you're just never going to do anything so i'd prefer to just get like i'm definitely working on the uh, perspective and opinion of like getting work out there regardless and just fall flat on your face and then see what happens because you're going to learn from that and you're going to get better and make better films it's not all going to be great and you can be proud of what you've made um rather than feel like oh you shouldn't watch it it's really it's not very good um fuck yeah. it who cares if people judge you like get your shit out there i i i absolutely agree and i i think one thing that i i had someone compliment me um quite a few people compliment me recently and they like watched old stuff that i edited and i hadn't edited oh yeah i'm not um, surprised I no. compliment you. <laughs> you do. Um, but I, I always funny. The funny thing about editing is like when you're a film editor, you know everything about pacing. So you know when yes. something works and when something doesn't work. And I used to have like this really high 
uh regard you know and i still do i love editing but it's one of those things that um i used to go oh okay you know that sequence doesn't work and people didn't want to hear that and then mm. um, everyone who's ever watched anything that i edit just goes you're really good at this and i'm like thank <laughs> you but it's it's so funny because whenever you're like the editor and you're sitting down with the director they kind of have like it's like as you say you kind of want to have this like opinion and say that works yeah. that doesn't work and and realistically there's a very big trust between the director and editor mm-hmm. and it's i just don't know how to deal with that no um, i i feel like you and i would probably actually like get along if we ever did a film totally and I, I feel edited. that way but I also feel like we'd probably just be like, I don't like it like that. I don't. <laughs> because it would be like this like, little mini it's argument. It's so different. I really feel like it depends on whose work it is because, you know, mm. I've edited other friends' projects and it, it's very much like, this is what I think. But I actually, I think I think that there is, there has to be like a lot of respect and time and patience for what mm. the other person wants. Like I'm very much like, you know, because I, so I'm, I'm co-directing a film right now um, with a great friend of mine and she became a client as well. Like we were working through film stuff that she was doing last year and she's gone into pre-production and I'm co-directing because she's directing and acting in it. And um, so, so really it's such an interesting process because I'm going, this is what I think. This is my opinion. And now you're the final say. Like you go yes or no, or this is what I think, and that's what we do always. Like it is, it is your thing, and it is the the most important thing is for her to leave feeling like she got what she wanted, and my whole role is to like support through that. Which is funny because I'm definitely trying to put myself in like um, uncomfortable creative positions more and more as, as much as possible so that I can just get good at dealing with everything. And with taking, you know, having someone else edit Seafoam, um, who is my friend Pete and he's so talented and he's been an edit. He's like a senior editor. He's been editing for 15 years. He knows what he's doing. Um, and I don't know how to give notes because all I know how to do is sit down and figure it out and edit it. And I'm very hands-on. So, it's like a whole learning experience for me to sit down and uh, figure out how to how to articulate myself in a way that you know com- is communicative and makes sense and mm. that he can understand. I, it's like really such a journey. It's great. It's like so great also to do that with a friend because he's like I'm very much the whole time. I might not be very good at this. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I've worked now with. Um... Like uh, all my sound mixes have been done by my friend Todd Jacobs, um, and he's amazing. He just like he does um, mostly like dialogue editing now because he's really good at it. So whenever uh, anything, he's always praising himself and been like, "Listen to that schmick dialogue." I'm like, <laughs> "It's so it's so good quality." Um, but one of the things was we I know this um, friend uh, Luna Pan, and she she also composed. Uh, the intro to my podcast. So she's very like, she's a composer. And I remember reaching out to her years ago and being like, Hey, um, look, you do composing. Would you be interested in composing s- some stuff for me um, for my doctor's shorts and everything? And she was like, yeah, sure. It gives me a practice. And I think that one of the things that I learned very quickly was how much everything elevates from just composing and a good sound mix and good at editing. It's just, you know, the the praise I have for other people in post-production totally. as well as, you know, pre-production 
Um, and just the whole, you know, acting and everything, it just, it builds you up to have a much better understanding when you know all the elements that go I together. completely agree with you. And I think that it makes, like, definitely from an acting perspective, after I went through film school and then started making stuff, I feel like I finally could understand what my role was, was an, as an actor, especially in the edit. I think I learned so much about acting through editing because you understand pace and, like, what, you know, timing and what that what that shot needs and what this moment is supposed to feel like and so how to get how to supply that and give that to the director or give that to the producer or whatever um it really does make such a difference i, th- I think like for me understanding what goes on on set pr- before in you know during and after um to the final edit and i think you're so right post-production like that's where the magic happens because you can have this amazing material, but if you, you know, where the edit is and where the music composition, I always notice edits when they're a bit higgledy-piggledy uh, on yeah. the screen. I'm like 100 years old. I just said higgledy-piggledy. Um, oh, can I, can I just say where, you know, I feel like we're like 100, and, 100 years old, both of us, because we're talking totally. about old films as well. <laughs> I know, right? Um, are you going to look back do you think on these short films that you do and and um stuff in probably the next five uh, you know 10 years 20 years and be like um feel very different about them or do you think you're always kind of like I guess reflect positively on them I, I hope to always reflect positively because I mean it's like what we're doing is like publicly failing all the time and publicly exposing ourselves and our failures pretty much, you know, and that's brave. (laughs) I I think that we can only look back on our work and go, I'm so proud that I put something in the world and who gives a shit? Like I, I've, I of course want to make meaningful, compelling work that makes people think and feel and laugh and cry. And, you know, I really do want to affect people, but I also know that I'm just figuring it out. And like, yeah, I I do feel like I'm, I'm I will always look back, and I st- I already do now. I look back on stuff that I've made, stuff that I made in high school, or stuff that I made in film school, and I think I just think so happily about it, and it's it just reminds me of all of this this whole journey. My favorite days ever are spent on set as a director or an actor, um, and I will always look back on at things and think. What an amazing experience. And even, you know, I've had I've had a couple experiences that were really tough and really hard and confronting and um I, I yeah, it's hard it's harder for me to look back on those experiences as positively even if the product looks good because my mm. you know, it's not easy to um you know, I've had instances where I felt, you know, taken advantage of or like my my I wasn't really being necessarily like looked after in in a way that I probably should have been but I can only look back at that and think well I am so glad that I had that experience because I really learned so much from it and so I don't know I think definitely looking back on the films that I've made if you know I don't know if you watched Placidil the one with um the triangle-headed woman (laughs) no I didn't but that Um, sounds like an interesting one that I feel like I should watch now (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm very proud of it still. I think it was my first film and it's really absurd. <clears throat> and it's, you know, everything is wrong with it. But 
<laughs> I I loved that film and and I was I was that's exactly the situation I described previously. I did not want to put it out there. When I when I was graduating film school, it played on the last night of the film festival that we have and it, you know, internally that's like a great honor and and a, and a great thing to have happened to you as a as a graduating film student. Um and so I was like, okay, it's like, you know, that's cool. I mean, that's really exciting. Um, but after I graduated, I was like, oh, I can't show that to anyone. I can't show that. I can't put that in festivals or, you know, show people or um, yeah, whatever, because I felt so like, oh, but it's because it's not what I, I, it's, it's, it's okay, but it's not what I know I can do. And it's not what I know I will one day be able to do. And so it took me like three years or I think maybe I'm exaggerating, two years, to submit it anywhere. And the first place I submitted it to was um, Cinema Australia. They did this, like, Sunday shorts program. And mm. he was like, oh, you know, Cinema Australia was like, absolutely, we'd love to play that. We'd love to have your, your film um, selected. And it, it was featured. And I did this, you know, interview experience for it. And it was, like, so rewarding. And I, I, can't, I was, like, kicking myself a little bit because I was like, it shouldn't take that long to muster up the courage just to share something even if you think that it's not the best thing that you'll ever make so now i really Mm. try to sort of go okay do you want to watch my film (laughs) to you know someone who i might want to share it with which it feels really vulnerable for me i still feel vulnerable sharing phenomena which you know i think is a great film and uh, but i also get that because it's always like you know that other it's you're just having people look at your work and you're going Mm -hmm. oh um there's there's the things I noticed that are wrong with it. So please don't Yeah, judge exactly. Them. Exactly. Um, but I mean I have my HSC drama short on um YouTube and I uploaded it to YouTube and it's now eleven years old. So watching it back wow. with like me as the main role with grills. Um <laughs> and like this sort of kind of like you know Oh, it's beautiful. You know, drama student who wanted to get into filmmaking and, you know, wanted to be an actor and everything. And my acting is actually pretty good comparatively. But, um, yeah, it was so much like the camera work, the sound is terrible. Like, everything was pretty janky. Yeah. Other than the, the acting, which was like the saving grace. But I had no understanding of how films worked. Um, I just knew that I wanted to get into it. That's so cool. I wish I started making films that early. I made like weird shitty things, but I never actually made a full film, I don't think, until film school. But I do feel like that's exactly it. Like you're looking at back at a chapter of your life that you you had this full experience and then you have this product that you, that shows that experience. But also, yeah. I really truly believe that we can only learn through doing because once the film is finished, you're already a better filmmaker. And that's also what's yeah. hard about sharing your previous work, I think. Because you you finish the film and you're like, oh, but I'm so much better than this now. <laughs> I've like learned so much and I would do everything very differently, but this is what I made and this is the reason that I can now go on and make something different or challenge myself even further because I did this. So we're always sort of one step in front of ourselves and that's a hard one to i think marry i think that's a hard one to deal with yeah i think it's like um it's always there was something that judy dench said where it's like theater it, you're always in the moment so you're always kind of like doing acting within the moment film or radio is captured so that's cemented 
in a time uh, much more rigidly. And I think I totally agree with that mentality because it's sort of like everything we do is then just like, you know, you take the best performance bits or you take the best, you know, bits and you stick it all together and that's the a final product. But that's a product doesn't sometimes get shown for, you know, in some cases a year later. And totally. you go, um, or even, you know, sometimes two years later. And then yeah. you watch it and you go, oh, my acting is completely different to when, like, that was when we mm-hmm. recorded that or mm-hmm. my attitudes changed so it is as you say a reflection of time and it's interesting um i guess the same while they put um they started putting disclaimers on films now to not change any of the dialogue in older films but just to say that these were a period of time mm. um so if you hear racist or sexist connotations in it that is because at the era this was more acceptable so it's yeah. like mm-hmm. not necessarily banning them it's just making you informed that i you, think you that's so interesting i was actually having this conversation with my partner david the other day because i was remembering little britain and i was like oh didn't you watch little britain growing up do you remember Little Britain? I do. Okay, so, much. so I thought when I was a kid, it was so funny. I just remember laughing. And I had no awareness, like societal awareness of what certain things truly meant, um, which is an absolute reflection of my, you know, privilege of being who I am and, uh, you know, not having to deal immediately myself with disability necessarily. So, so I, you know, I didn't think about it, but I was tell- I was talking to David about it and I was like, oh my gosh, Little Britain's so funny. And then I look it up and I see that it's gotten all, it's gotten completely banned. It's gotten taken off the air. It, the filmmakers have apologized saying like, this was just the, like the time it was in. And it, and this is, you know, we're so sorry to have caused pain to people. And because it does, it depicts um, you know, disability in this humorous light. It doesn't take, um, it, you know, it really is making fun of some some serious stuff. And yeah. it's, I rewatched some clips and I was like, oh my God, like if I watch this today, I'd be like, this is awful. Turn it off. Like how dare these people? Um, I know. And I just had no idea when I was a kid. We just don't, we did not pay attention to w- the ramifications of, uh, you know, certain representations i think that's I, I think that's very true as well because like i remember growing up with little britain i grew up with like um uh even comedy shows that my parents watched when they were kids which is like faulty towers um, yes and oh, the goodies. i loved faulty towers and faulty towers you know i was talking to someone the other day and i said faulty towers if you were to do that today the only character they probably wouldn't do is manuel and he was like, oh, yeah. why? And I said, because Manuel is played by an English actor. He's meant to be from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of like the idiot. So they would completely rewrite his character to be a much more intellectual person. Yeah. And yeah, you could still keep him from Spain, but he'd be much snarkier, much more aware of what's happening. He totally. would not be the buffoon and and out of touch and everything. And and the funny thing is that one of the best episodes is still the Germans, which is a you know because it was a, such a stupid um, storyline. Um, it's so funny to watch, mm-hmm. but you also understand why it got banned. Like totally. I understand, and I was like, oh okay, it's kind of making light of you know the pe- um, people who ha- suffered during the war and everything. I was just thinking that when when we were having this conversation with. Um, I, when I was having this conversation with David, we were talking, he was, he sort of asked me, um, do you think that 
that that it's right that they ban this um because isn't what we're doing just like denying or ignoring the fact that uh we've this was a chapter in history and this is how we were doing things and i i had to really think about it and i was like actually you know how i feel is that i think it's good for now because we can bring this back and say yeah okay this this is what happened at this point in time but it's too fresh right now especially because little britain just did um only a few years ago did they have like little britain america and so yes. so it's it hasn't been that long and if we really unfortunately if we really do want shit to change and and for us to stop you know taking advantage and making fun of certain people in society that um aren't aren't fully represented and fully represented well then we sort of do need to like stop and then return with this was a slice of history um and we can remember it as that but this is not how we do things anymore yeah i agree and i think i don't believe in censoring stuff i don't believe in like what you know changing history yeah i don't believe in that but i do think that that we do have to sort of have an abrupt shift and i think that's probably the only way to do it at this point well, another, I think it's also something that another one of my guests, um, my friend Tony, he had a book on his shelf, which was a very, uh, like, looks like a cool book, but it's very racist and it was written from an era. And he just, you know, he happened to flick through it one day and just go, the book looks cool, but I'm never reading this again. And right. just put it back on the shelf because it's just like, it's such a period of time. Yeah. That book, when it was like from the 1910s or something. And he said it was just racist as anything. So yeah, I mean it's tough to see stuff like that. I mean, I like looking at, um, you know, sexist depictions, and it mm. it's it, it's hard, but you, we have to acknowledge the evolution that we've gone through, um, so that we can arrive at a better space. So it's all yeah. good. It's all positive. I think uh, the world's so fabulous. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, there's something that I, I, I also said sort of quite recently because we look at streaming platforms and, uh, you, you must've heard of Quibi, uh-huh. um, which died pretty quickly yeah, poor after quibs. it was, <laughs> well, <laughs> the funny thing was it was run by like people in their seventies in a situation well, yeah. where they didn't And quite also they had know. terrible, they were like just fell into such terrible timing. They released a platform where you watch on your phone um, because they thought commuters are going to love this. And then, of course, no one's commuting because every COVID shut everything down. So it's like, yeah. you know, what? we're not watching our phones right now. We're watching the television because we're in front of it 24-7. But I think that's also something to be said that, you know, like it's interesting that a lot of our leaders are much older and they think that the younger generation don't really know like as much and we're not, but I think that's not the case at all. I think we, I no, think we I know a lot. Yeah. Um, I just think that we're constantly learning and constantly probably challenging ourselves. And I think that people younger than us are going to know more and faster too. They're like the just the the ability for knowledge to spread and to be acquired is just incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm I. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say this, you know, it makes me wonder when we turn like a 60, uh, we're in our 60s and we watch the younger generation, we're like, either bless or damn them for being <laughs> faster and reacting. Well, inevitably, we're just going to say damn them because that's just the way it goes. Like, we're just going to I know, right? We're unfortunately, 
we're just going to be the same because we're human. But I think that it keeps us young if we keep asking the young the youth um how they feel and what they think and and what their experiences are it's so easy to be like oh they're so they just don't know what they're doing but like let's give them the benefit of the doubt because that's always what we wanted that's always what we want is to be given a voice be given the benefit of the doubt and it's super easy to get older and be like curmudgeonly and you know oh i've earned this because i've spent my whole life not having a voice and now i finally have one so it's my time but um yeah, it just continues the cycle, doesn't it? Oh, I love that. It so does. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I just, I kind of want to be these one of those old men who has a lawn and just goes, get off my lawn, kids. Um, <laughs> but I can see that's that the only you. reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I only want to be that when I'm <laughs> in my <laughs> 70s. <laughs> but also just like also the type of person who bakes a lot of cookies and hands them out to the community. So I'm, I'm in two minds about. You're like the lovable grumpy I'm, man. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to be that lovable grumpy man who also owns like a, a little um uh Jack Russell or something like that, and just um or a golden yeah. retriever, and yeah. Just, like something, <laughs> some small dog that is looks very happy. Uh, I love it. <laughs> my retirement <laughs> plan. Happy. I'm planning. I'm, I'm retiring. <laughs> I know. I love you. You're like, oh, I can't wait to be fifty and sixty and seventy, and I can't wait to be yeah. old and mad at everybody, but bake cookies. <laughs> you have so many plans. <laughs> Martin, what I are you going to do today, man? <laughs> oh, well, after this, I, I'm going to go shopping. So it's all oh, very cool. thrilling. What are you going to buy? Um, <laughs> I'm literally going to buy some um, groceries because I am low right. on stock. So Grocery shopping is, is one is... of my favorite things to do. And not just because um, I'm in LA and that's the only thing I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what are you going to do for the rest of the evening? Oh, well, I actually have a shoot tomorrow, so I'm going to have a little meeting with some team members and get on the same page. We So I was, I was directing a film and um, <clears throat> over Christmas, I was supposed to fly to Texas. Uh, did I tell you the story? I don't think no. we spoke. Oh, so I was supposed to um, fly to Texas early January to film this short um, and direct it and right the day after Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if I should be telling you the story in a podcast, but um, I... Oh, don't worry. Got... I can either leave it in or leave it out. This oh, great. Is... <laughs> I um, spilt it, <clears throat> a fresh boiling cup of hot watered tea uh, on the <gasps> couch and I, and I got like second and third degree burns all over <gasps> my butt. Like my my butt is was completely blistered and I couldn't sit down and of course like it was you know the day or two two days actually the day before um David and I had planned to go on this like really special romantic (laughs) trip so um it turned out to be with a sauna and like a steam room and a fireplace it was very special it was actually you know a bless it was fine it was the perfect place to recuperate but yeah lots of like lying on my stomach and having wine brought to me <laughs> so anyway like... <laughs> yeah i couldn't um i couldn't obviously fly also with covid it was it was like pr- pretty irresponsible to get on a plane i think at that point um and and still yeah. so i actually have been directing it via zoom thank you 21st century crazy experience but Surprisingly, I was very, um, I was expecting it to be really challenging and I, I did not know how it was going to work, but 
it was really great. It worked pretty well. I'm like really impressed with how things have been going. And um, we have we have like a capture card that delivers straight through Zoom. So I'm watching the frame at, through, like I'm watching the camera essentially. Um, oh, that's awesome. Really cool. It's been really interesting and exciting. And I'm like directing basically on speakerphone um, sometimes, like they'll just get the speakerphone and be like, do that again. <laughs> more showering. <laughs> no more washing your hair. Got that shot. Like it's just like, yeah, really. Well, you just move on. Yeah, exactly. We got that one. Uh, how does the cinematographer feel? <laughs> <laughs> so so that's been fun. Um, it's like sitting sitting in my apartment in Los Angeles whilst at like midnight in a night shoot and, you know, David's next to me like laughing his head off at some comedy with his headphones on and I'm like, you know, pacing back and forth and like, you know, talking and directing. It's just like this is such a crazy experience. I really feel like COVID has given us many opportunities to have really different and interesting experiences um, mm. in this like film life. But anyway, they got snowed out of the final oh. day of shooting and it snowed for the first time in 10 years in Texas. It was like weirdly fluky. So uh, we've got to pick up day tomorrow. Anyway, it's a long-winded story about me burning my ass though, and that... Zoom, zoom yeah. directing. <laughs> <laughs> and Zoom directing and a weird, like, winter day in Texas. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, really bizarre. Covered it can all. Can I just say, all of that sounds amazing, though, because, like, listening to all of that, I'm just like, well, did not expect that <laughs> at all. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> my, the beginning um, part of my year has been, like, such a wild ride. I can't believe it's, you know, it's, it's like, midway through January, and it, I honestly feel like it, it should be Christmas again. I know, right? I I literally thought that the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, man. it's like, um, you know, almost almost February, and I'm like, and you know what, like my December. my uh, it does. My New Year's resolution was to slow down. Um, and it did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you failed that one. I've been uh, failing, but I'm really working on it. Oh yeah, it, look, long long times and long long efforts, but I believe that you know you won't ever slow down, and you will continue to. Make stuff throughout yeah. the year. Well, it makes me happy, yeah. so can't, I definitely am not complaining. Very happy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just about the ass, though. Oh. I am complaining about my ass. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't blame you complaining about your ass. Yeah. Um, well, it's actually, I think I think that's a good point to end on. So it's a great place to end. Well, well, we'll end on your ass. Uh, it's <laughs> an absolute pleasure to talk oh, to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Martin, thank you um, so much for having me as a guest. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I knew I was going to. We always do. But this was really special. So thank you. Yeah, it was It was an absolute blast. I've loved every second of it. It's made my morning, which is, you know, your Aww. evening. To my lovely audience out there, um, yes, tune in next week for another uh, wonderful guest and wonderful time. Uh, this is the Things We Do um, podcast, and I will talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.